This podcast provides a platform to discuss important questions and complex issues, challenge the status quo, and confront the boundaries of the establishment. I'm retired police chief Daniel Hahn. I went from being arrested at 16 to serving over 34 years in law enforcement. My goal is to keep you informed with news not being reported, voices not being heard, and the untold history of how we got here so that we can create a way forward. Today, I have an amazing guest with us today. His name is Aaron Cardoza. And I met Aaron three, four, five years ago, uh, and he has an amazing story. So I'm not going to get into his story. I'm going to let him tell his story. So please welcome Aaron Cardoza. And Aaron, thank you for being on the show. Man, much appreciated. I'm glad to be here. So I would love for you to say like how you grew up and the circumstances, who you were as a kid and what happened uh, to kind of change uh, that. So tell us a little bit about you growing up. Okay, so I grew up in Sacramento, California, the Del Paso Heights area, North Sac, of course. Um, at eight years old, I came to Del Paso Heights um, as a foster child. My mother, she was into prostitution and my father was pimping and they got caught up in, the, in jail, prison, and we got sent to foster care. And so as we in foster care, I'm growing up in Del Paso Heights, um, went to a good man's house, the first uh, foster home I went to, his name was Reverend Washington, um, went to his house and it was, it was structured there. There was a lot of, you know, discipline. Um, but of course, you know, I acted out in certain ways, more of uh, not being with my parents, my mother more on that hand. Um, Elementary school, went to North Avenue. Junior high, went to Martin Luther King, Rio Tierra. In high school, I went to Grant for one year. Years down the line, 15, 16 years old, went up to uh, uh, my, one of my partners got a phone call for some girls. Said, hey, you want to go with me to these girls' house? I said, let us go. So we go over there. Um, it was a setup. This guy was trying to jack us. And so put a gun to my head tell me, you know, he wanted my money. He wanted any drugs I had if I sold drugs. I wasn't selling drugs. Um, he didn't even know me. So he ended up shooting me. Why did, why did he shoot me? Because he was a crip. I was a blood. At least I thought I was because that's what I've, I heard growing up coming outside, right, when you get off the porch. And I heard that, you know, that word. And so I was saying it as he had a gun to my head. But you weren't like the real deal. No, not at all, not at that time. Um, so I was just saying what I've heard, right? <clears throat> so I'm saying, blood, leave me alone, you don't know me, woo, 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 and he was a crip, I didn't even know. So he shot me. He was serious about what he was doing. Um, I fall to the ground, but a light shined over me. And when that light shined over me, it got me to my feet again. But then I ran about maybe 100 yards to a, a house. And as I'm passing back out from losing so much blood, I knock on a door. And this white lady, this Caucasian lady, opens the door. She's, she had to be in her 40s at that time, me being 16, 17. And she's screaming. I said, can you call the ambulance? And she said no and slammed the door. She had a son that came to the door and said, I got you. Her son called, made that call, and that's what saved my life. As I'm sitting in the back of the ambulance, I woke back up. And when I woke up, I asked, it was an MTA back there, a lady, it was a sister actually, and I asked her, I said, am I going to make it? And she said, I don't think so, baby. Immediately went back in a coma. When I woke up um, from the coma, it was the next morning. And I had over 20 people from Del Paso Heights inside the hospital. Some of the cats I didn't even know knew me or even liked me. But I was a cool dude. I was one of the cats that made people laugh. But they said, we know who did it. 
and he'd been terrorizing. And we're going to get him. And that's what they said. And as they said that, it kind of gave me security. It kind of made me say, I love this neighborhood. I love Bloods. I love Del Paso Heights. So after getting past the bullet, getting shot in the head, bullet coming out of my neck, they let me go the same day, the next morning. They let me go. I had a fat face and everything, but I went back to my house. And these cats are still contacting me, you know, letting me know the situation. So the guy ended up moving out of state, getting away from the heights. Um, turned 18 years old. At 18, I was gangbanging. I was claiming blood. I picked up a gun because I didn't want to get shot again. Then I caught my first case as an adult at 18, immediately went to prison. 10-year bid, did 10 years in prison. Um, I wasn't changed. I wasn't rehabilitated. I wasn't um, a, a different person. The only thing I learned in prison during them 10 years was how to survive, how to become a worser person, a solid person, someone of... That, that didn't wasn't gonna take no mess from anybody else, you know, especially getting shot again. Um, so I, got, I did my 10, got out of prison. Like I said, I wasn't changed. It wasn't no rehabilitation there. You know, a lot of people say, you know, send him to prison. He'll be rehabilitated. But if they don't, if they don't understand that they wanted me to take anger management classes in prison. So let's say you're the instructor. You're a white man, for one. For two, you went to Harvard. Didn't grow up in the Heights, is what you're saying. You didn't grow up in the Heights. You never gangbanged before. Only time you're in prison is to teach this class. But I can't pay attention to him and listen to his instructions or listen to what his layout is because right behind me is the same person as me that I have to watch my back on. So I'm constantly doing this inside of this classroom. So I missed everything that the instructor's telling me, right? So there was no rehabilitation. Every class is like that. Everything they want you to take, depending on your case load or what you, what you were in there for, they want you to take these classes. But like I said, there are no people of my kind. There's no people that's been there and done that. So, like I said, I wasn't rehabilitated. I got out on the same page. I became a man, though. And becoming a man, I understood I had responsibilities to do. And ha having these responsibilities in life and coming home from prison, I didn't have a lot of tools to use or money to have to get back on my feet, you know? So I stayed with my auntie. And in order to stay with my auntie, I had to raise my nephew. Because my sister had my nephew with my aunt. So I ended up raising him. I stayed there for a couple years, raising him. Um, and then when I moved on, moved, moved into a, my, my place where I had to share with a cousin, I took my nephew with me. And I continued to raise him. Because I didn't have children. Um, so then, the age of... 28 is when I got out. I went from 18 to 28. Um, at 28, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't that changed person. So you're, I'm going back to the neighborhood. I'm going back to where I made a name for myself. I made a name more in prison than I did on the streets because, like I said, I wasn't into that. But you had to get into that in prison. It's three things going to happen. You're going to turn homo. You're going to turn a gangster, or you're going to turn a Christian or a Muslim or whatever, right? Three things that you're going to prison for. And the, and the reason you're going to do these things is that's your protection. That's your, that's your way to surviving a prison. A lot of the, the youth don't know that. Um, so at 30, you know, I'm still moving around, still doing, you know, a lot of dumb stuff. Still trying to get some money to survive. You know, so I go into doing 
stupid stuff, taking action at going back to prison. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm two strikes. So the two-strike law, if you catch another felony, 25 to life, prison, right? So not having no mentor, not having nobody to help me out, not having nobody to show me the route, the right way at this time, you know, plenty of chances, Daniel, plenty of chances I could have went back to prison. But just for the grace of God, I didn't. So about six years from today, this organization came to me, a brother by the name of Mervyn Brookins, pulled me to the side and said, hey, man, I know you from this neighborhood, and I know you got potentials to give back and save your neighborhood. You want to try out my program? At first, it's, you know, well, growing up in foster home, I didn't trust anybody. So I had big trust issues with even trusting somebody. But I gave him a chance. I gave myself a chance. And what he showed me, you know, was there's still black men out here that care about other black men. And so we got into the program. I was one of the first ones with him. Um, then I started telling my neighborhood about it. I got a lot of diff disappointments and stabs in the backs and called snitches and rats because at, that, at the end of the day, he wanted us to find a relationship with the police department, right? I, Which I probably knew for you, right? Way this new, time. <laughs> way new. I ran from the police. Right. I got away from the police. I didn't like police at this point in time. Right. Um, but everybody's human. And that's the first thing that I was taught, that everybody's human. They might not be a good human, or they might be a good human, but everybody's human. And so then I was introduced to Daniel Hunt. And, and, and I, and I want to say that because, you know, everybody coming home from prison needs a mentor, needs somebody that they can trust, right? And seeing an African-American officer, a chief at this point, the head, at the head of the chief police department, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of different. It was like Obama, right? You were. And when I say that, when I shook your hand and we had them conversations and we talked, you wasn't no bigger me, you know? You, you, you was on the same level as me right, when it comes to the conversation we had and the action that you took. So you were you the one that got me to say, okay, let's give it a try with trying to partner up in, with the police to make our neighborhood safer. Yeah, I want to get into that in a little bit, but I, I want to take you back to early in the story that, uh, of you growing up. I remember you've told me a couple times, and I've heard you speak many times and say this thing, and I don't remember the term you used. I think you might even called yourself a nerd, a poet when you were younger. And so, uh, so uh, how, explain to everyone how what occurred to you in your teen years changed you, at least the way you were acting out in the community, from what you called a nerd or a poet to this guy that's now claiming uh, uh, set and and doing those activities that you said you did even after prison. So, how what changed from you being this kind of what made you change? Yeah, I would I, would, I was I would say not a, really a nerd because I was far from like square because my mom was in the game. You know, so I learned growing up. You know, in the household of being fast life and things like that. So I had that part of it, the lifestyle, but. I was a, one of the cool dudes. I was a nice cat, you know what I mean? I was always a smile on my face, you know? And that's especially when I'm outside, you know, around friends and, and, and people that I met in Del Paso Heights, you know? So I was always the in crowd. Like, people wanted to come and talk to me and, and hang out with me. So I was always cool on that. So I wasn't into the gang banging and, and all that. I just heard it, and I was, I was listening to it, and I was watching it. And that's what made me get to that point where I was – saying it to a person that was really trying to hurt me, you know? And, and, I, and I shouldn't have said it, but I didn't know any better because that's all I grew up around. 
And so I'm thinking that's me, you know, and it really wasn't me until I got to prison. And that's when I became <laughs> and, and, and shot. So I didn't like Crips at the time that I got shot. You know what I mean? And so that's I, who shot you. That's who shot me. Right. And so that was my number one enemy at the time. And so going into a, a, a prison uh, environment, you know, I'm picking sides and I'm, and I'm choosing what I want to be. And that's what I chose was to be a Del Paso Heights blood. And that's what I'm going to say because this is what happened to me, you know. And that's just because the environment I was raised in. So you've talked that you've done in some form or fashion poetry even as a kid. And you definitely still do it to this day. As a matter of fact, I, I have to tell you, I... I I think I've told you this before, but you're one of the most amazing people that I know, and I'm honored to be able to call you friend because of what you've been through and the person that you are today, um, that what you've been through didn't prevent you from being who you are today. You you were able to get through all that to the point where I even asked you to uh, write and speak a poem at my retirement celebration, and you graciously agreed and people still talk about that to this day, by the way. So I'm just curious, what what uh, made you get into poetry even at a young age? And probably more importantly, what's made you stick with it through all this stuff that you've just talked about? Mm, that's a good that's a good question, and, and it's really my life. Um, everybody has a gift. We just don't know that gift until God shows us that gift, right? And that's what I dig out a lot of people is to find that gift because we all able, we, we say we're human, right? We, we, we all are human on this, on this earth and he, and he gave us all that, that gift, right? And so in, in elementary, it was, I believe, sixth grade, I had to recite the Martin Luther King speech, okay? I won first place, went to finals in Oakland, took that home. I say, I ain't never heard that story. Back to that. So, <laughs> but I didn't know I was a poet, right? I just got good memory. That was the first gift that God gave me, was good memory, right? So I remembered the speech. And when you remember something, you don't have to go to your notes. Right. So now I can look at the crowd. And one thing that my teacher, shout out to Miss Mackley-Moore, Sixth grade teacher, Miss Macklemore, she taught me to look at the crowd when you speak, Aaron. It catches their attention. You get more from them when you're looking at them. And that's with life anyway. When I talk to somebody, I look them in the eyes. And the reason I look them in the eyes is because if I get a person while I'm talking to him and he gets veering off on me, it's not a real person to me. Right? So, sixth grade, one, um, Martin Luther King speech, I have a dream speech. Were you hooked at that point? Was that no. what? No. No? Okay. No. All right. All right. I just did it more for the girls Okay. in elementary. Real talk. Right. right. I did right. it for that um, because I wanted to be, you know, to go to Oakland. I wanted to be on the stage. I wanted to do that. But I wasn't hooked with that. So I didn't. So, so at that point, like I said, I won that. Never touched it again. Never didn't recite it, did anything, any, none of that. Go to prison, everybody want to be a rapper. I'm on a prison yard with Suge Knight for two years. Wow. Right. Everybody's bring, trying to bring demos, right, you know, right, 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 right. walking by Suge Knight to start <laughs> rapping <laughs> loud, you know. And, and, and Suge is like, you know, he, he ain't with all that, right, you know. Right. But he'll listen just because he got to pass time and survive also, right? Right, right. But otherwise, people will get on his helmet, you know, if you don't listen to, you know, right, that right. type of yep. part. So... I shot something to Suge one time because he was cool with me. Me and Suge, he, he actually said I reminded him of Tupac. Kind of scary now <laughs> to say, but um, back then we had that conversation. He ended up moving me in his cell and everything, and everybody started calling me bodyguard or Suge Knight, but I wasn't. Um, I, he was just a, a, a human, and, and I was actually trying to rap to him and thought I was a rapper. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. You are not a rapper. You can't rap. And I took wow. it, and I took that positive criticism, <laughs> right, and ran with it. So I started working out and, and left that all left all that alone, man. So when I got out of prison, um, I used to throw clubs right down here in down in Osac. Mm -hmm. I used to throw a lot of clubs, right. 
because um, I was a promoter. That's what I wanted to do. I did that before I went to went to uh, prison as a youth. I was throwing house parties. Right, right. right? And I was a heck of a promoter. Um, so I went, and, and I believe it's right downstairs. It was called Wise Guys. And and I went into Wise Guys one time and asked him, can I get uh, uh, this building? Give me the door, and I'll let you, you know, you guys can have the bar, of course, and I'm going to fill it up. And he was like, cool. So what I was doing was I was getting hip-hop artists from Sacramento to come and perform at, at the club. I'm doing really well with it. It's just that being locked up for so long, a lot of the homies wanted to bring their pistols in inside the club. And I was alarmed by seeing a pistol because I ain't seen a pistol. It's like driving. If you haven't driven a long time, getting behind a wheel is kind of dangerous because you're like, whoa, I got to get back used to this. Get to used to seeing a pistol. So they, you know, it was kind of, it was a lot. And I'm still on parole, you know? So so it's a lot to deal with that. So one day, this uh, girl took me to this um, poetry place. Never knew nothing about poetry. Um, so I went to the poetry uh, event. I loved it. I loved the environment. I loved what they were saying on stage, right? And so what I wanted to do after it was over was talk to one of the poets and ask them if they would bring their show to down where I, where I was at and I was gonna stop the hip hop and do poetry. But I had to get the artists, right? The poets. And so shout out to Rod Zilla, the black academic. Rod Zilla, one of the, uh, my mentors in poetry. Um, he taught me everything I know as far as, you know, the speaking and things like that. Um, but I brought them down and they were doing it for me and I'm getting paid. I'm paying them a little bit, but I'm, I'm the one getting the money. And so Rodzilla was so into his poetry. He said, man, we're not going to come back to your place if you don't write a poem and recite it on the next time I come. So it was kind of deep. So I said, I'm not a poet, man. I don't do that. Nah, 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 right. And in the back of my head, I still had that shook night. What he told me. Right? And so I go home and I wrote a poem. And he taught me to write the title of your poem, what you want to talk about, and then go from there. He said, it can rhyme or it don't have to rhyme, but speak from here and it's going to come out tight. Went home. First poem I ever wrote was called Speak On It. And the reason I wrote Speak On It because I wanted to speak on the things that was going on in 2003, right? 2003 was the hyphen movement. 2003 was the the the, the was the was all this stuff that was uh, attracting our youth. Was you know that was the big thing in in 2003. And so I wrote, and it's called it was called Speak on It. Came back the next week. I'm of course the MC and the one running the show, and I told him. Well, I got a poem for y'all today, right? And so Rodzilla come on the stage. He said, wait a minute. What's your stage name? What's your poetic name? And I thought about it, and I said, the forgotten. He said, why would you say that? I said, because when I was in prison, they forgot about me. I didn't have no friends. I didn't have no family. I didn't, I didn't have anybody support me in prison. I survived that myself with noodles and hustling. No money, no income, no nothing. When you get in there, that's the, all you got is yourself. So you got to become a man. You got to become a person to know how to survive. I didn't pay rent. I didn't do none of that. But I had to eat, right? I had to survive myself. So that was the first poem I wrote. How'd it go? That innovation. So then you was hooked. Then I got hooked. <laughs> Never left. Never left it alone. After that. So. And that was about going on 17 years now. Yeah, and I've heard you say numerous poems <laughs> yeah. since then. Yeah. So uh, that leads me to my next question. Uh, the inspiration, you, you actually have a book yeah. called The Forgotten One, and you've just explained where that came from. What was your answer? What, what made you want to create a book? So here, here's a cat that grew up in the Heights, in foster care, went to prison, and you're like a published author. So how, what made you even think you could do that? People told me to do it. My sister, my oldest sister, she passed away from COVID. She lived in Texas. But she told me, Aaron, write a book, write a book. 
she got two books out that she wrote before she passed. And then everybody else tell, tell, just talking to me, but my sister was one that inspired me to write that book. And then she passes, passed away. But that was my big inspiration was my sister. It was, it was eight of us and she's the oldest, I'm the second oldest. So when she passed, it took a lot off me, you know? But it kept me going, it kept me writing. It kept me doing what I do today. Good kind of legacy of your sister. So uh, what do you think uh, it takes for us as a society? There's a lot of stereotypes about people that have had your experiences, right? People in prison. I think if we walked out on the street and we just asked people, hey, what do you think about these cats in prison? or these guys that come out on parole. I think we'd get a lot of stereotypes, a lot of blanket statements about how evil, how they should never get out and all those things. But then we have you and many folks like you that have gone down that road and now are doing great things in the community and making life better for others, not just for yourself. So what do you think as a society we need to know or do that um, helps like facilitate or helps uh, folks do what you've done, right? Come out of being in custody in that environment that you described that is not the healthiest of environments to be able to come out and write books, help others in the community, mentor, all the things that you've done or whatever somebody else's passion with. What do you think we need to do as a society to help create more of that as people come out of being in custody? Well, one, that I believe, you know, um, helped me was to have a lot of good people on board to want to help cats coming home from prison. But to an extreme, you can't really say what do we, what do we need because change only comes when that person's ready. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you can have all the tools, um, Daniel. You can have all the tools to to give somebody. Let's say, for instance, you had a brother that came home or a nephew, right? You can give them all the tools. I mean, you can give them the mentoring. You can give them the ho the home, the house, right? You can give them put money in his pocket. You can give them the job. But if they're not ready for that change, that change is not going to come, right? Because, like I said, when I got out, I wasn't ready for change, right? I had to want my change. I had to want it. I, like I said, I had mentors. I had a program. But I wanted that change because I started seeing myself. I started seeing people telling me, you're great. You could be so much better than what you are. I see potential in your life, right? So the kudos and all the pat on the back helps you, but you have to want that. You know, but if we talk about how can we help them get to that point for that change, then I say more housing for, to have them because a lot of cats coming home doing 20 years has nowhere to go, has no more family. Like I said, family, right, right. family, friends, and everybody leave you at that point. You actually forgot about the forgotten one, mm -hmm. right? You're forgot about at that point. So you can give them the resources. If we have the resources to give them, it will help them on their journey because if they come home to nothing, they're right back to selling drugs. They're right back to carjacking or jacking people for money or doing things to get in trouble, right? They're right back to a revolving door. Prison systems, they need to give them more money before they're released. You only get $200. After I did 20 years, you only give me $200 and a check. So now the check is right. going to get cash, but they're going to take another $5.64. Yep. So now they got $187 <laughs> left after 20 years, right. right? What's the first thing I'm gonna go buy? A toothbrush, toothpaste, and some uh, uh, out one outfit, if you find a cheap store. Right. Right? Then what? Right. Sounds to me like what you're saying is, once the person is ready, it, uh, it's also helpful that when that person is ready, there's people there or organizations like Brother to Brother, in your case, that believe in them too. So when they're ready, right. match them up with people that believe in them too. And now you've risen to the uh, uh, the position of president, 
for Brother to Brother. Yes. Why, why, real quick, just say, what does Brother to Brother do? Man, Brother to Brother is an organization founded of a lot of brothers that's been to prison, and some haven't. But the ones that's been to prison, I feel we work harder and have more understanding on keeping the kids from going there, right? Um, we help out with the youth. We mentor them. We feed the homeless. We worry and care about our community. Um, we're just men standing up, up, up as black men standing up, trying to make a difference for our community, right? We want the change for our community because what we feel if our community gets better, it'll be safer, not only for the community, but for us too. So our brother to brother, like I said, they're standing on um, what they believe in, and that's safety first in our community, right? And then able to bring opportunity for them, jobs, um, housing, just different things in a property neighborhood like Oak Park, you know, in the Heights, never had. And that's what brother to brother does. Well, I, I can tell you, we, over the years, working with you and Merv and all the guys in Brother to Brother and Sister to Sister too, for that matter, uh, a whole bunch of things have come out of that relationship. I know there's officers now that will call you instead of taking a young cat to, to juvenile hall or jail, and, uh, and Brother to Brother will bring them into their organization and mentor them, and, and I, I know several cases where that turned out really good. Whereas I don't know how going to jail would have turned out. But one of the things I think is the most significant that um, all of you at Brother to Brother, and you've been there, I think you've been there every single time I've seen it, is uh, you all come, you, about five or six of you usually from Brother to Brother come out to the academy and you have a whole block that you teach at the academy. Um, so I'm curious your, what your thoughts were when you first heard that proposal for you and, uh, you know, Merv and a few other guys to come out and speak to the recruits at the academy. What was your, what, what did you think about that initially when you first heard it? And now that you've done it numerous times, several years, what do you think the benefit of it is? Wow, man, that's, that's big ups to you once again, Daniel Hahn, for, you know, making this happen, right? Because, like I said, I never talked to the police. I didn't like the police, you know. And after you introduced us and, and, and got us in these situations to be able to do this, man, I, I felt that it's going to help our community. I felt, wait a minute, I can get in front of a, 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 a getting ready to be officer and, and, and let them know about my neighborhood and let them know, you know, the right approaches, you know, and, and, and how to be able to identify a person with mental health or a person that's on crack, you know, other than just pulling your gun out or tasing them because they're not listening to you, you know, or even a, even a homeboy or a gang member, you know, that I know from the neighborhood, you know, that you guys would before just lock them up or, you know, or shoot them or tase them, you know, without understanding their story and understanding that everybody, there's a story behind everybody. And, and what makes it beneficial and what made it beneficial was for us to be able to show them like I was the one y'all was chasing. Right. I was the one that was causing a lot of conflict in my neighborhood, you know. Um, but to do time and come home and to be in a position to talk to you guys, I felt it helped the safe the safetyness first in our community. And it also made it to where you know, a lot of my homeboys ain't too scared to talk to the police because they seen me talk to them or they understand, well, I know AB's solid. He's a solid cat. And if he's sitting there, you know, meeting with the police, you know, it got to be something where it's going to be helpful or beneficial to our community, you know, because they trust me from the years I put in for the Del Paso Heights and how, I, you know, I live my life. I have to tell you, I, I sit I sat probably for the, through the first, well, when I was chief, I think I went to every one of them. Yeah, you did. And I watch, I on purpose watch the recruits while you guys are talking. And it feels like I can see the light bulbs come on in their eyes. Like, I think they too, just like a lot of society, has an impression of what somebody that's been to prison. And now I'm talking to these four or five dudes that have been to prison anywhere from 10 to 20 plus years. 
and hearing their backstory, their childhood and what happened and all these things. And they're like human beings. They're no longer like this stereotype. And so I can't thank you enough. I think that's a, you know, those kind of things, I don't know that you'll see the immediate payoff like two minutes after class, but I think five and 10 years when these officers are now five year veterans and 10 years veterans, they're never gonna forget that. And last thing on that, on that topic, um, I love how you guys always ended it. You, uh, somebody would always tell the recruits, we not like these other cats that will tell you one thing and do another. If we see you out in the neighborhood, we're gonna know you. We're gonna act like we know you. We're not gonna slurk around the back of the building when we when we came out here and spent a couple hours with y'all. And now when we see you out in the community because it's not cool, we're gonna go behind the building. Which brings me to my next question. I've heard so many times from organizations and people that you can't do anything with the police if you're from the hood because you will lose your rep, you will be labeled a snitch, and all these negative things. So therefore, I can't do anything with you. And some of them, well, I would want to do something with you, but I can't because then I lose my rep in the neighborhood. I, I can tell you somehow you and brother to brother, you know, I'm sure there's one here and one there that might say that, but in general, the community loves brother to brother and they listen to brother to brother and you can see it every single day so I'm just curious, how do you think y'all accomplish that when so many other people think that I cannot work with the police department because of these other factors in the community? Yeah, like I said earlier, we had a lot of stabs in the backs. We had a lot of people talking mess, you know, um, because they didn't know. They didn't know, just like I didn't know, you right. know? Um, but when I come back and I feed to them what we did with your son or your daughter, that they helped out with, right, in partnership with us, they understood. So it creates believers. Believers, right? Because they respect me before any, before brother, brother, before- Before a police officer. Before prison, before anything, right? I was respected out there. And the reason I was respected because I wasn't a bad dude, I was a good dude. And I always kept it solid with everybody. And to, for me to come back and deliver this information and them seeing me getting ready to take eight kids to the academy, uh, not to the academy, to the to the place where they showed them about, you know, how to shoot the guns yep, yep. And, and and if is it a bad guy or a good guy, you know, and things like that. Stimulation machine. Yeah, th yeah. Th there you go, yeah. the stimulation machine. Um, and then I explained to their parents, or the kids went back and told the parents, I went with A bitch, woo, woo, woo. we had so much fun. That started spreading around the neighborhood, right? Till this day, we started off maybe with five, five brothers. Now, the whole community loves brother to brother if they haven't joined, right? They, they love the, what we do in the community. They love the partnership that we have with the police department. And the reason it, it is, is because it's also beneficial to helping, you know? Like, can I come get this guy that you got pulled over? Right. Right? Right, but that's when I, happened before, right? Right, right, yeah. definitely, definitely. But when I come, why was this man pulled over, right? I'm not definitely going, yeah, I'm gonna go and shake his hand because I know, know, know the officer and I got called by the officer. So I'm gonna shake his hand. We're gonna hee hee and ha ha. But I also wanna know why you pulled this brother over, right? This is, he's part of my community. What happened? What did he do, right? Some of them gave me the false. Some of them gave it to me real, right? But I took it for, I'm, I'm good with reading people. I'm good with reading lies. And so, I heard it from the community, I heard it from him. If he's right, he's right. If he's wrong, we're gonna hold him accountable. He's wrong, but let me deal with that. And the officer will give me that, that, that individual. And he'd be like, oh man, I was gonna go to jail, woo, woo, woo. And so, by me talking to him and mentoring him, giving him a gun awareness class, and showing him, man, it's better ways to this life, but you have to be ready for it, this made a whole difference in the neighborhood. It, it just, and we've, we've, we've got several cats, to where now going into the courts, right? That's a whole nother ball game. With the district this, attorneys and district several attorneys, other entities, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, being able to say, I believe that this young man deserves a second chance. Now, like you said, we don't, we, we ain't into hugging thugs. We ain't into all that. If what's right, what's right, what's wrong is wrong. If we feel that we can help this young man and we don't feel that prison is gonna do him any justice, please let us have him. 
and you'll see a difference, which is 25 success stories on my behalf. I'm not saying what everybody else did, but on my behalf, we have 25 success stories with young men that could have been sentenced, well, was sentenced 10 years, five years, seven years, but suspended the sentence, and now they're in our program, which have successfully completed our program, right, where they took gun awareness classes, they took anger management classes, they took um, a lot of different things and showed them how to feed the homeless, showed them how you can be homeless at this point going down to the, the, the uh, homeless camps and things like that. So it helps. With, with Working with law enforcement, it really helps, you know, as long as they, you know, keep it 100, keep it real on both ends. Uh, and I would say not only them going to prison, but how many, how many more crimes or how many more, how much more damage would that person have done to the community had they not started to reach their own personal potential, right? From going through brother to brother. So I, I got two more, um, uh, two more questions, uh, for you. And that is, um, uh, what do you, what do you think, uh, or what do you want people to know about communities like the one you grew up in, in Del Paso Heights, specifically people who didn't grow up there, right? That are looking at, they know, I always say, people have experience with communities like Del Paso Heights. Everybody does. Some have personal experience because they grew up there and spent a lot of time there. And some, their experience comes from the news. So they only see what the news says about neighborhoods like Del Paso Heights. So what, somebody that grew up in the Heights and still is in the Heights all the time, what, what do you want those folks that aren't from the Heights to know about a neighborhoods like the Heights? That there's a lot of talented people in the Heights, right? You hear about Grant High School, you hear about all the talent coming out of Grant, right? People going to, to the NFL from Grant. Um, Grant is, it, I mean, Del Paso Heights is a community with lots of love, right? So it makes it easy to make a change in that community when they trust you, right? A lot of people say, oh, you should run for the city councilman, District 2. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Right. <laughs> um, but they trust me, right? And when you, when you have that trust for somebody, they know that I'm for my community. And when you're for your community, it's like a... A, a, a revolving system. So I was touched. I, somebody saved me. Somebody helped me. So who I touch, it's going to help somebody, and they're going to help somebody, and they're going to help somebody. So now, like I said, the whole neighborhood is involved with trying to make a change for their community. But it took. it needed to take one person to step up. It needed one person to say, you know, but it had to be from where we came from. They had to be from the heights. They had to be in the prison. They had to be in the gangs. They had to be doing the most stupidest stuff in Del Paso Heights for them to come back and say, I trust that person, right? Couldn't nobody come from outside of the neighborhood and make a change like that. And it's, and it's, 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 it's big now. And when I say that, we have less crime, right? We have less hatred amongst each other in, in our neighborhood. And an example for other neighborhoods to create similar Similar, which, we, which we've yeah. done. We yes. have a brother-to-brother -brother South. We have a brother-to-brother -brother all over Sacramento. And that's what we're trying to create is that change, is to be able to. And now we have, like I said, you you from you know that too. Like we have you know, cats in the Oak Park, cats in the South area that that's, um, partners up with the police to be able to make that change. What we're doing now, you know, kind of like what we're doing with the, them giving us referrals. That's the same thing. But everybody's on board from what we started. From what brother to right, brother. So you have these organizations like police and DA's office. Now they're using a dude that did 10 years in prison to help make amazing, life better amazing. for other people. Right? I go to county jail, inside the county jail, by myself, with a pass, and teach a class. That's awesome. Eighth floor, sixth floor. I don't care where you're from. I teach a class. And they, people sign up for it. Oh, brother, brother's in here. Because they hear about us. Everybody mm -hmm. hearing about us, right? And says, I want to take that class. So I got cash from Oak Park, Valley High, Meadowview, Del Paso Heights, all in one classroom. Which probably it, normally it, wouldn't happen. Normally wouldn't happen. <laughs> but because it's me teaching this class and not a professor. Right. 
right? That they never know you been understand. In, I understand. So the conversation is different. The class is different. It's being taught different, right? We talk about change. It's being taught. Well, they, these cats got action at coming home, right? The ones that got life, they still come to the class because they want to know how they're going to take that program into the prison. Some of them never been to the prison. They're just in the county and getting ready to go to prison. I'm teaching them and showing them what you have to look for when you get ready to go. So that's just the county. I went back into the same prison I paroled from and taught a class. Right? Well, because you basically have a degree, too. It's just not the kind of degree you get from Harvard or something. You, you have experience, and, and as a society, we have to use everybody's experience. Your experience gets you in the doors that other people can't get into. Last question I have for you. Um, when you were younger, uh, before and right after you went to prison, before you started doing a lot of the things that you're doing now, when you saw what you thought was a police officer doing something wrong, what's the difference between the way you react then versus the way you react now and what you do now when you see what you believe to be police officers doing something wrong. Because one of the things I tell people uh, about organizations like Brother to Brother that work with the police department, I go, that doesn't mean they always agree with the police department. That They're not just walking around like an advertising agency. They have tough conversations too. So uh, what's the difference between how you handled it before and how you handle what you believe is, is police? Because I know you've had those situations. Oh, yeah. I know you have. Oh, yeah. So uh, what's the difference? So, you know, before, when I was younger and everything like that, like I said, I ran from the police. never wouldn't even talk to the police. And if, if I seen, you know, somebody got pulled up by the police, I'm not even intervening. I'm going the other way because I don't even want you to question me, right? Um, but then, so if something's going wrong, there ain't nothing getting better because you just left. I left. <laughs> right. right. I'm trying to get away from the situation. But, you know, after the engagement and after getting to know officers and knowing that they're human just like we are, going to a stop now... I read the energy. I read their energy, but I know that I'm the spokesperson for my neighborhood. I am the spokesperson for this brother that you just pulled over, right? But we make it, like I said, if the guy that you pulled over is wrong, he's wrong, right? If I can help him in any situation, through this situation, I will help, right? So let's say, for instance, the crowd's loud and everybody, we need to calm down, right? It's called crowd control. If we need to calm him down, I can turn around and look at him and talk to him and they're going to stop what they're doing because of the respect they have for me. But if the officers are not responding to my questions, and, you know, because you do have bad officers. Yep, absolutely. Right? And, and, and when I say that, we have bad people, we have good people. But the same as officers. We have good officers, we have bad officers. But the ones that are the bad, I call bad officers, I'm going to have something to say about it. And I'm going to say it even more aggressively because, for one, I'm in an organization called Brother to Brother where we stand on, on what's right. And when I'm talking to the officer, if I did get it loud, because I just got called in probably about two months ago from the <laughs> chief, right? And, and, and a few other captains or whatever. Wait, stop right there. I think that's another amazing point to point out. Somebody with your history, like you know the chief. Like you get called by the chief on your phone. Like I imagine when you was... 15 or 16, you would have never thought you would have the number for the chief of police.
One of the big purposes of A Way Forward is to hear different voices and different opinions, because that is how we can make informed decisions ourselves. So if you are someone that would like to come on A Way Forward to express your opinion, go to chiefhan.com forward slash podcast. Chief, H-A-H-N dot com forward slash podcast.